we've got a lot to do today and I don't want to leave anything out that we're going to do today and uh, and so I have to interrupt I have to be the bad guy and uh, interrupt our worship set this morning but um before we go any further I wanted to uh, take some time and and I knew that we couldn't get through the talk today and uh, before we have our seventh and eighth graders go out um, without without doing something real quick uh, as most of you got an email this week that uh, today is, is Nathan's last day with us in STS. And uh, Nathan has just done an incredible job. He doesn't know this. We're about to do this. He doesn't know what's going on. But he has just done an incredible job leading us in worship. God's doing some really cool stuff in his family right now. And, uh, and we have been blessed and honored to have him over the past uh, year or so leading us in worship. He has done a phenomenal job leading our team. And I, I, I tell you, I've prayed, and I, I, I prayed for a guy like Nathan to come along, and uh, he's just done tremendous. I'm thankful for the, uh, the ministry that he's had, not only leading us in worship, but also the ministry he's had um, just pouring into you guys and gals. And so this is not a goodbye. This isn't like uh, we'll never see Nathan again. This is one of those see you later moments. But as we send folks out, um, I want to, uh, to honor him by allowing us to pray for you and your family. And the way I like to do that is, uh, Nathan, if you'll come down front, man. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you all to stand. And in this moment, this is one of those moments that's not one of those goof around moments. I, I want to take this moment pretty serious because we are thankful for Nathan. So I want you to, if you wouldn't mind, uh, guys up front, you put your hands on Nathan's shoulders. If you could put your hand on, on the person in front of your shoulders, if you have to come out of the aisle, that's okay. That's okay. But, but we're going to lift Nathan up and, and Lauren up. And the reason we do this is that we're all together. We're a family and, uh, and we're, we're, we're excited and I'm excited about what God's doing in their lives. So, uh, so I'm going to pray, and uh, I'm just going to bless the Lord in this moment. Lord, I thank you for Nathan and Lauren. I thank you for Nathan and what he means to STS and what he means in our student ministry, what he means in our worship ministry. He has done a phenomenal job in uh, not only leading, but giving an example of worship to our students. And Lord, I'm... Um, I thank you for his time, the season that you've had him with us. And God, we honor, we honor him by giving you all glory because that's how he would want it. I mean, and he, he is probably one of the most humble guys I know. And, uh, and he gives you praise for everything that has gone on in his world. And Lord, we give you praise for what you've done through him. And we just ask that we just, we continue to pray for him. And we know that this isn't, this isn't a forever goodbye, and, uh, and we know that this is one of those things where, God, you have us in seasons, and Lord, this season is, uh, is changing, and that's okay, Lord, because we lift it up to you. Lord, we know that you're the author. None of this took you by surprise, and so, God, we, uh, we thank you. Thank you for the prayers that he's had for the guy that's going to come after him, and uh, I, I thank you, and I'm, I'm so blown away that he would pray for that next person to come and lead. And the humility in that is just is just huge. So, Lord, we we ask that you bless this time. Thank you for our worship this morning that we've had. Lord, uh, I thank you for all the hard work that the, our team has put in, and they are con- going to continue because of the legacy that you are leaving here. Lord, uh, God, thank you that that 
Jesus, you are the center. That uh, people may come and go, and God, that you're the center of it all. And so, Lord, let us remember that. Let us honor you in that, Lord. So we love you, we give you praise, and we love Nathan and Lauren. And we just ask that you continue to speak to us today, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Y'all make sure after STS this morning, y'all give Nathan a big old hug. But first, give me a hug, Nathan. Love you, buddy. I've got to go sell Buddy Green CDs. So. Yeah, sounds good. All right, 7th and 8th grade, you guys and gals, go ahead and head out. 9th through 12th. I want to ask that you guys and gals kind of fill in the middle section. If you guys would come off the wall for me, if you guys would come off the wall, we've got plenty of seats, plenty of seats if you guys would come off the wall. Thank you, guys. Come on in and have a seat. If y'all turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, and we're going to be, this is our last talk in our series over the book of Mark. Our kingdom series, where we've learned about how Jesus has come and flipped the idea of Messiahship upside down. And, uh, and I tell you, this has been such a cool, I was telling someone last night, a buddy of mine, how, how much I've learned through this. And things that we've seen before, things that we've studied before, things that we've read before, things that I've, I've, hit, I've heard since I was a little kid, and just seeing things and reading things and examining things that God has shown me through the book of Mark has just been huge about Jesus. And so I, I'm excited as we come to this last talk that we have on the book of Mark when we kick up in the, uh, the late winter, early spring, we're going to be diving into Paul's letters and I'm super stoked about the application of how those letters apply to our lives today. So it's really cool. So if, uh, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 16 today Talk today's talk is is uh, I guess if 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 I wanted to title it today's talk is born to rise born to rise and and so uh, as we think about the Christmas season as we think about this time of year we can't help but going in the stores and seeing nativity scenes and we can't hear, help but you know uh, talk about the nativity and talk about these things so but uh, Will where yeah I still need you thanks buddy Will's gonna come in the past couple of Wednesday nights thanks buddy past couple of nights we've been going through the uh, the av- Advent wreath, and if you've been with us, that's been super cool. Really enjoyed that. Go ahead, man. And uh, and so we have gone through all of them. We've gone through the the Bethlehem candle, the shepherd candle, the angel candle, the uh, the Bethlehem angel, shepherd prophecy, and the Jesus candle. So it's just been super awesome uh, to go through those. Thanks, Will. And uh, so so we continue with that thought and that mindset. But I want to. We talked a couple of weeks ago about kind of some things that may have been talked about in Scripture and may not have been talked about in Scripture on a Wednesday night. And so, so let me ask just a simple question. How many wise men were at the scene? Now, I'm gonna, it'll be multiple choice. We'll do multiple choice. Will we say three? That will be A. Or will we say 10 to be B? Or we will say the Bible doesn't say and that will be C. So how many of you think that it's A, it was three? Anybody? And no wrong, I mean, there's three, so, so it's a no takers. All right, what about five, what did I say, 10? 10, anyone, 10? Man, 10, you have two. You can only guess once, but that's all right. You can't guess on the next one. So here we go. The Bible doesn't say, how many of you think the Bible doesn't say? 
some of you are unsure. Some of you are not voting, all right? That's, that's what happened. But here's the deal. You are correct. The Bible does not say, but, but we think it, we usually kind of err on the side of how many? Three. Three. And why is that? So it's easier to remember. And then the three gifts. So there's three gifts. So ultimately there had to be three guys because there were only three gifts. And what were those gifts? If we could remember back, the first one was gold. Very good. And the second one was Frankenstein. And then the third one was myrrh. Very good. So we've got gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we think about these three things, and, and I know you guys know this, and, and I, I, I'm not surprising you. I'm not giving you any earth-shattering revelation on this. But the gold was given. That was a symbol of a, a precious metal. That was a symbol of Jesus' divinity. When they laid the gold down at the feet of Jesus, they were saying, He is divine. He is God. He is holy. And then that led to the second one, frankincense, and that was a symbol of holiness and sacrifice. So that was burned in worship. Anytime that frankincense was around, it was burned in worship to let you know that there was a sacrifice, as there was something holy going on. And then we get to this last one, myrrh. And that's one of those things that if you didn't, you know what gold is, and we, we understand kind of what frankincense is. And then we get to the myrrh section of, of this last magi, this last uh, uh, man to bring a gift to Jesus' feet and, and put it at the manger. And we see, we hear hear myrrh. And I, I have a feeling in my mind's eye, if I was to go back and be a part of that nativity scene, that there were some questionable things going on. There was some head scratching going on because they didn't understand why this man would bring myrrh to the feet of Jesus. Now, let me, let me kind of help you out with why they were confused on this subject. Myrrh was used during the embalming process after someone died. So that was a symbol of death. There was a symbol, it was a symbol of suffering. It symbolized anguish. And so when, when Jesus received this gift of myrrh, I had a feeling that the people around there were going, dude, that probably wasn't the best gift to give a baby, you know? And, and everybody's going, you know, Mary, it's okay, you know, no big deal. But, but there was a huge symbol behind this gift of myrrh. And it was a, it was a, 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 foreshadowing of what was to come. And we all know, we all get it. Jesus lived a, a perfect life. He never messed up. And, and we've heard people talk about this. We've heard people preach about this, that, that, that Jesus, the whole reason that Jesus was born was to die on the cross. That was the whole reason. It was, it was, it was the whole uh, essence of why he came. And we see this through the gold, gold the frankincense and the myrrh, but at the end of the day, we need to understand that that's not the full story. It would be like watching a movie or going to a play and not seeing the end act or the final scene that puts everything together. It's one of those things where you have to understand that yes, Jesus lived a perfect life. Yes, everything that went on, the, the miracles and everything that he did was amazingly awesome. And yes, he went on the cross for our sins and died a death that we deserved. I get it. We could not pay the penalty for sin. Jesus is the only one. He was born to die, but I want to pose something else. There's more to the story. Because if Jesus just was born, lived a perfect life and died on the cross and nothing happened after that, he would have just been a good man. 
He would just be a guy in history that lived a perfect life and died. It would just be one of those things where we would look back in the history books of, of things that, that people say, prophecies and, and things that Jesus said, and we would have went, oh, that's pretty neat. But because of the resurrection, everything hinges on our faith because of that moment in time. Everything hinges on our belief in Christianity. As, as a follower of Christ, if we just stuck with the death, that would have been great. But it's what happened after the death that hinges everything. So I, that leads us to our text this morning, Mark chapter 16. I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you have some type of device where you can see God's word. Because I tell you, there's nothing like the word of God. Bless you. Mark chapter 16. We're going to read the first eight verses of Mark chapter 16. We need to understand that the death of Christ wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't end all. It wasn't be all. There's more to the story. Verse one, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus's body. So time out. Pause for just a second. These three women, they go to go anoint Jesus's body because here's the deal. Those magi brought that. They brought that, that myrrh that was used for embalming. But here's the deal. The Jews did not embalm. That was just a symbol when they brought that because the Jews did not do an embalming process. So these, these gals, they brought these spices and these scents and these oils so that it would, it would slow down the stink. Because the, de the decomposing portion of death, as, as a body would go in the grave, it would start to smell really, really bad. So, they, so you need to understand, you're going, Ryan, that's not really, really sympathetic and that's not very sensitive. I get it. But that's why they did what they did. They brought the oil. They brought the, they brought the uh, anointing stuff to go to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus so that it would cut down on the smell of Jesus's body. So, but when they got there very, very early in the week, just after sunrise, this is Easter Sunday, they were on their way to the tomb and asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And we, we get that and we understand that and we go, man, why would they even ask that question? Well, not to, not to knock any women, but this thing was a huge rock. This thing was like, this was a huge, this was a huge stone that would be placed in front of a track. And one of them, if not all of them, would have to get what they could do to push this stone out of the way because it was very heavy. And this was one of those things where women would not typically do this. They would not typically be a part of this process because this, this stone was so massive. And it was placed in part by two soldiers that would have to shove with all their might to put this stone, to roll this stone in the place of the door of Jesus. And so we keep on reading. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting 
on the right side and they were alarmed. They see this man, they walk in. Jesus is not in the tomb as we we're about to read and, and they see this, the stone rolled away and they go in and they start to be frantic and they see this young man dressed in white and they say, what's going on? What happened? They're kind of freaking out and the guy says, don't be alarmed, do not be afraid. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen and he is not here. See the place where they laid him? Go and tell his disciples and Peter that's so important. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled for the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So many things we see in this are familiar. You, you understand that the stone was rolled away and it wasn't by any man or any woman. It was uh, an angelic being rolled the stone away. And, and, and we see that the angel was inside and he says, don't be afraid. But the women start freaking out and they're going, whoa, you know what happened? And they start to get scared. They start to not understand what's going on. And then, then the angel says to him, he has risen. He has risen. And you need to go and tell, but go and tell his disciples, but make sure you tell Peter. Why is Peter named as, as an important person to tell? Well, he wants them to understand that Peter had denied Christ. He wants to give Peter some hope. And so I tell you all this story, and you need to understand that everything that we talk about here in the last chapter of Mark, this story, this thing, that happened 2,000 years ago. Is the crux and everything the center of our focus in Christianity. And so I say that you know that. You are smart teenagers. I get it. But here's how I introduce this next portion. How would you defend it? If Jesus came... He was born in a manger. We've talked about it on Wednesday nights. It's been incredible. And he goes through life answering all these prophecies and he dies on the cross and he rises from the dead and someone walks up to you and goes, how do you know that's true? How do you know that the Jesus that was born in a manger who flipped the kingdom idea of the Messiahhood upside down and they said, you, you say he raises from the dead? What? Nah. People don't do that. People don't rise, especially people don't go, no, I'm going to die and then I'm going to come back. And it really happens. My question to you as you sit there and look at me like with this goofy look on your face, like, Ryan, you're a dork. I know that. You don't have to tell me that again. But how would you defend it? How would you defend that? How would you defend someone saying Jesus didn't do it? Well, I give three reasons, three ways, three answers to that. If you're taking notes. Someone may say, well, what's the point? Number one, what's the point? What's the point of Jesus dying on the cross? What's the point of Jesus rising from the dead? Yeah, Jesus may have died, but what's the point of him rising from the dead? Well, there's a few things. There's a few things. Number one, Jesus said he was going to do it, and he did it. 
Now, why would that be a big deal? Why would that be a huge understanding? Why would that, uh, why would there be anything just because Jesus said, I, I, I say that I'm going to do a lot of things and, and then I end up doing it. But why is it when Jesus said he is going to do this one act and he actually happens and he actually does it? Why is that a big deal? Well, he is God. Remember that, that gold that symbolizes the divinity. He is God. Write this down. John 2, 19, John 2, 19 and Jesus says after he goes into the temple and cleans the temple out the first time he says destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days and nobody understood what he meant by that this was really early in his ministry and I love how John John's so cool best friend of Jesus he says he he kind of interludes he thinks back as he's writing this letter he said and then after Jesus died and after Jesus raised from the dead, we remember him and what he said when he cleaned out the temple and we cleared the temple out. And we remembered that. And man, it was amazing because Jesus did what he said he was going to do. Well, let's look at this. John 14. John 14. You can write this down. We won't have it on the screen. I'm, I'm, I'm hustling through this. We got a lot to cover today. But John 14. You can read this later on your own. Verse 9, Jesus says, that's not it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to, I can't read my own writing. We'll go to John 11. Do a John 11. John 11, 25. Jesus said to her, that's the one I wanted. I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And Jesus couldn't say that unless he resurrected from the dead. So you need to understand, Jesus said he's the resurrection and the life. And so what's the point? What's the point someone tells you? What's the point of the resurrection? Well, Jesus did what he said he was going to do. How many times have you said you're going to do what you say you're going to do and you don't do it? A ton. But Jesus did what he said he was going to do and he rose from the dead. But that's not all. Number two, why did he do it? Why in the world would Jesus raise from the dead? Why in the world would Jesus raise from the dead? Well, 1 Corinthians, everything around this wraps up in 1 Corinthians. Let me get there. It's in the New Testament. Chapter 15. Should have these marked. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. This is Paul, which you've received and on which you have taken your stand. By the gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have received in vain. Verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Remember, go tell the disciples and tell Peter. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, his brother, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. When we think about this. What is this whole point? It provides, it provides, and validates his deity. 
Every part of this validates his deity. That the fact that, that Paul says in chapter 15, 1 through 8, that, that the word of God, the scriptures say it's true and it happened. Not just Jesus said that it was going to happen. It's true because the word of God says it's going to happen. You're looking at me like, Ryan, this is pretty deep. I, I'm trying to prepare you. I'm trying to give you this question will come up. Why? What's the whole point of the resurrection? Why would anybody care about this? Well, number one, it validates his deity. And number two, it provides hope for the believer. Write these verses down. Romans 6, 8 through 10. 1 Corinthians 6, 14. 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Man, these scriptures that, that Paul writes down are huge. I'll just read one of them for you. Romans 6, 8 through 10. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. That is some big, awesome stuff. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And because of that life, it gives us hope. As the believer, the resurrection gives us hope that we might spend eternity with him. That is a big, humongous deal. But it doesn't stop there. There might be another question. And this is probably the biggest. Where's the proof? Where's the proof? If no one saw Jesus walk out of the tomb, if no one saw Jesus actually come out of that grave, where is the proof? Well, there are a lot of folks out there that have a lot of goofy ideas on what happened. Now, seriously, this is no joke. There's a, there's a theory out there called the swoon theory. Swoon theory. Now, check this out. It was that Jesus was in so much anguish on the cross that he fainted and he didn't really die. His heart rate got so low that they really thought he was dead. And then we went in the cross or went in the, in the tomb, went into the cave. He was like, oh, <sighs> he had like electro paddles come on him. And he woke up and he got back to life because he really wasn't dead. His heart rate got really extremely low and it just needed a little jolt. And then he came back to life. The swoon theory. Well, that's goofy. But then there's number two. There's another theory out there. Hallucinogens. That literally Jesus went and hypnotized and gave these disciples, gave these folks a little druggage and said, hey, I'm going to come back. And then when Jesus on that third day, when they saw Jesus, they really didn't see Jesus. All these people were just high. Like no joke. That's people think this. Now, listen. Then, then there's another one that the people, there, there's, there's a few more, the people like really stole his body. Like during the middle of the night, they knocked out these two Roman soldiers and said, I'm going to get Jesus' body. They pushed the stone out of the way and then they stole Jesus' body and took it somewhere else. And then someone else just kind of acted like Jesus. They grew their hair out and they put some makeup on and they walked around and they said they were Jesus. Well, that's goofy too, but it gets even better that the ladies went to the wrong tomb. They're like, oh, well, I thought Jesus was in there, but it could, I can't remember which one. It's got to be that one. And Jesus wasn't in there. So, and this was the best one. You ready for this? This one was like, when I read this, I was like, holy cow, do people really believe this? Morons. But in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I should say. But here's the deal. That Jesus had an identical twin. No joke, that Jesus, when he died on the cross, 
He really died. But at that moment when he was on the cross, he looks down and sees a man that looks exactly like him. Everything identical. Mary had two babies. And one was a twin that got lost somewhere. And then at that, it was like one of those movie scenes like, oh, no, you're my brother. And like Jesus dies. And then the dude's walking around and they're like, hey, it's Jesus. And the dude's like, I was a nobody. But they think I'm Jesus. Yeah, I'm Jesus. You know, how to, you know that, people think this. People think, like, literally, people think that people were high. People were, Jesus had a twin brother. Like, this, this is crazy talk. But why? Where's the proof? What's the, the solid facts behind it? Well, I'm going to give you a few, and we got to roll. Jews and Romans could not disprove that this happened. Both Jews and Romans in their history cannot disprove that this event happened in time, that the resurrection happened in time. But that goes, it's better than that. That the conversion of James and Paul. Now you say James was Jesus' brother. Well, in Mark, check this out. In, uh, oh no, excuse me. Yeah, in Mark chapter 3, he looks at, he looks at uh, some folks and, and literally, literally James says he's a madman. He's crazy. He has, he's out of his mind. This guy who, imagine being Jesus' brother. It might be kind of hard. He does nothing wrong. Jesus, did you take out the trash? Yes, mom. James, did you? Yes, mom. No, you didn't. One of y'all is lying to me. Which one? Jesus is like, I didn't lie to you. James is like, seriously, mom? Son of God? Perfect. He's never done anything wrong. You're going to believe him over me? He's got a little chip on his shoulder, and he says literally that he's a madman. But the conversion of James, the brother of Christ, and not only James, but Paul, who was martyring Christians. Check it out, Acts. He was at the Stephen. He murdered Stephen. He was holding the cloaks of the, of the people who were stoning Stephen. He gave the order, and he gets converted in Acts chapter 9. It's amazing. It's amazing. You need to check it out. So not only that, last thing, eyewitness accounts and the moral character of the people who said it that it really happened. I know you guys already know this, but I would, I, would list, I would just ask you to listen that Matthew and John and Paul and James and Peter, these guys who wrote, who were there, who wrote these things down, said it was true even after the 70 AD war, which is so huge that most of you, I'm sure, already know about, but that is everything. Because after, after Jerusalem fell in that war, there had to be someone to rewrite the scriptures, rewrite the gospels, and write it down, and they had to have eyewitness accounts. And that's how we know it's true. Because of the moral character of the men that said it happened. We see it in four Gospels so that we know it's true. And it's one of those things that you can reject what Jesus did, but you can't ignore why he did it. You can reject it. You say, nah, he really didn't do it. But you can't ignore the fact that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, amen, bing. That was one of those things like, ding, Ryan's right. But here's the deal. We can't get around it. We can't get around it. 
I love the fact that God's word is so true. And I'll leave you with this thought. I know it's Christmas, and I know we see these things. You need to understand this, that the stone that was rolled away was not rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone that was rolled away was not rolled away to let Jesus out. It was to let witnesses in. It was to let us in to see what Jesus had done for us. That he really did rise from the dead. He really does offer us life. And so this Christmas, as we gather around our fam- with our families and we sit around the tree and, and we open presents, we eat a lot of great food. Let us not forget the reason that Jesus was born. Listen real quick. Let's don't forget the reason that Jesus was born. Ultimately to die, but that's not the end of the story. That he would rise. That he would rise, that we might have life and have it to the full. Lord, I love you so much. I thank you for these teenagers. I thank you for your word. And Jesus, I thank you for what you did. God, as this, this, this year we've, going through, we've gone through your word and gone through Mark and heard about Jesus and the ins and outs of the Savior, the Messiah. God, I pray that that doesn't just stay in this room, that it leaves with us. That, Father, we go to our homes and we go to our, our friends and we go, look, I understand that there's so many things going on this week with finals and, and, and report cards and all this other stuff. Midway points and struggles, friendships. And, and then we get to Christmas and we go, man, there's got to be more to it than just presents. Lord, let us give you glory because you deserve 100% of it. Because thank you, we thank you in this moment that you died. But God, we thank you for rising from the dead. Lord, we love you and we give you praise. And it's in Jesus' name.